Welcome to the Black Girls Raised in the South podcast, a podcast dedicated to elevating the voices and centering the lived experiences of Black women raised in the South. Our goal is to inspire, motivate, and encourage all women to thrive. I'm your host, Taffany English, a.k.a. The Motivator, and I am a Black girl raised in the South. On today's episode of Black Girls Raised in the South, we're continuing our conversation with Katherine Coleman Flowers. Katherine is a native of Lowndes County, Alabama. She's an environmental health advocate, and she's bringing attention to the failing water and waste sanitation infrastructure in rural areas and its role in perpetuating health and socioeconomic disparities. Help me welcome Katherine back to Black Girls Raised in the South. In our last episode, Catherine shared nuggets of wisdom from her memoir, Waste, One Woman's Fight Against America's Dirty Secret. It's her desire that this memoir, which is available for pre-order, will offer hope and inspiration to all who read it. So let's dive in to today's conversation. Now, speaking of reading, I recently read an article that was published um, online at Reckon South. And then this article, you do talk about your upbringing in Lowndes County. And one key lesson that you have at the very forefront of of the work that you do, and it's been a guiding principle for you, has been never forget where you came from. Tell us why that is so important to you and the work that you're currently doing. You know, one of the things that, that I marvel at and my father told me this a long time ago. It doesn't matter how much education you get. If you can't go back and talk to the people that you grew up with, where they can understand you, you're not educated. You're just an educated fool. Mm. So I have learned that, you know, one of the things that keep me centered is, is still talking to people that were part of my childhood or uh, people that I grew up with. There are people that I just check in with all the time. Because there's so much wisdom, you know, that's something we don't hear that word too often anymore. But there's something about wisdom that that is missing. You know, we see that in our lack of leadership, you know, whether it's nationally yes. or locally, was is the lack of wisdom. And I think that that the wisdom of, of folk that are from a community can go a long way in helping us solve the problems. But it also one of the other things about wisdom. You know, it's like my parents used to always tell me, because, you know, we grew up rooted in the Christian church, is that trouble doesn't last always. So so we have to learn to be persistent. We have to learn to be supportive of each other. And we also have to learn how to reach out. Sometimes we just need to reach out and talk to somebody who's had that lived experience because they will give us that courage that we need to continue to do what we need to do until we get to the other side. Indeed, trouble don't last always. And there's always a reward when we can glean from the wisdom of others. You know, Catherine, thank you so much for sharing that. I think that that's really important and really something that I feel will inspire and motivate others. You've been doing this work for for a while and you've been able to do this work across party lines. And I do want you to talk about that. But I also want you to talk about something that I read and it was 
regarding your upbringing in, in Lowndes County. And you had so many people that influenced you. But the one thing that you said you admired the most was their uncommon love for community. Share with us what what is uncommon love and what that means to you. Um, you know, I was just to give an example. Uh, I once did an event in Lowndes County and I was um, and the, the event was in terms of politics. It was a bipartisan event because at that particular time, the people that had all the most of the leadership roles in this in this state and on the federal state and sometimes the local level were, were people from um, uh, the Republican Party. And I was um, when I pulled together the event, I, I've talked to everybody. You know, I'm just that way. I'm going to talk to I'm not going to not talk to people because they're in a political party, because sometimes you can find some commonality. And we work on those things that 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 we agree on and share and have shared values with. So I was concerned about, you know, for me, approval for me was seeing people in the audience like Donna Smith. Mm-hmm. And when I looked in the back of the room and I saw Donna Smith and I saw Wendy Parrish, um, I saw some people that were there that that I just have so much admiration for. There was a part of SNCC. And that, to me, meant more to me than anything. And Donna Smith, and I had mentioned her earlier, Donna Smith brought Willie Ricks to my house when I was about 16 years old. Uh, for me to meet, he, she came, she brought him with her. I had met him before and I didn't know who he was, but this time it was, it was more significant because I was older. And she was at that time was working to recruit students to go to uh, Upward Bound at Tuskegee. And, uh, and she brought him with her. And I didn't know how significant he was at the time. I didn't know that this man was the person who, um, who actually said black power. People didn't mm. really Carmichael credit for it, but it was Willie Ricks. And Willie Ricks, I mean, he's still a walking history book. <laughs> and he lives in Atlanta. He's still a walking history book, and people don't know who he is. And the different places he's been around the world and how he's been, I mean, the things that he can talk about in terms of movement, movement of Black folk, and, and how uh, different things happen because he was there sitting at the table. But it was being around those kind of people, I think, that had the most impact on me. And then later uh, at Duke, Duke has a a SNCC legacy project. So I was invited to be part of a panel. And on this panel was Jennifer Lawson and Cortland Cox, who actually drew the Black Panther for the Black Panther Party. And when they were talking about organizing, and then I started talking about organizing, it became real clear that I was following their footsteps. And although I was a kid and not really paying a whole lot of attention at the young age I was at that time, when my parents would go to meetings or we would go to the Jackson's house, it wasn't just the people that came to my house. It was the people that went to the Jackson's house, you know, John Jackson and his Mm -hmm. Were very significant. And every time somebody would come to their house, we would get invited to go over and my father would take me too. So I realized that that's where it all came together. 
that I was really, and I told them that it was so significant for me. When I think right now, I still get emotional, but it was uh, that I'm standing on their shoulders. Yes. That they made my job a lot easier because they didn't realize that they were preparing me to continue the legacy. I didn't realize it either, but it was, I'm just fortunate to have been part of such a, um, be around such powerful, uncommon people whose names, if the, if the truth be told in history would be in every history book. When we talk about the history of the United States, especially in the 1960s, and these were young people. And that's the reason why I say now, uh, Young people are very, very much a part of the change that needs to come. And young people can be a part of that. And young people were organizing people for the right to vote in places where other people were scared to go to. Yes. <laughs> you know, and yes. young people today can still make a difference, even if they d- don't do anything but just vote. Yes. If they don't do anything but just vote. Speaking of voting, we know that Lowndes County was important to the voting rights movement. You've already mentioned SNCC and you, you know, you've mentioned both male and females who had a significant influence in your life um, and on the work that you're doing today. Talk to us about the challenges and barriers that you've overcome, you know, doing this work as a black woman from the South. (laughs) <laughs> That's a good question, too. Well, first of all, uh, some of the significant var- barriers are because uh, the the old guard doesn't want to support new leadership. Mm-hmm. And if it's been done the same way forever and ever, they want to keep it that way. So it's a power struggle. Uh, and it's a power struggle in terms of the way women are viewed in the South and in the United States, period. So I, I think that that is... That's one of the things. And then then the other barrier has been that people don't want to listen, that the assumption is they already know what you're going to say before you say it. So they don't and they have their opinions formed and they're not going to listen. Uh, That's one of the things that I had to overcome, too. And the way I've been able to overcome it is by having collaborations and friendships outside of the South. There are some in the South, but even with the work that I do, a lot of the recognition came from outside of the South. And once the recognition came from outside of the South, they could no longer disavow it. I mean, even mm-hmm. if I have to think of talk about the state of Alabama, I mean, I've had the biggest struggle with people trying to shift and change the narrative and victim blame as it relates to wastewater. But it's kind of hard to uh, to disavow me and discredit me if Duke University has thrown in support behind what I'm doing. It's one of the most prestigious universities in the South. Yes. Um, so... I think that that one of the things, one of the ways that I've been successful is because of the people who have actually come along to help lift up my voice. And some of those people have included people like uh, former Vice President Al Gore, uh, his daughter Corinna Gore. I'm a, I, I am a senior fellow at the Center for Earth Ethics at Union Theological Seminary, which is in New York. Uh-huh. Um, I've had partnerships with UCLA, with their Center for Diverse Leadership in the Sciences. Uh, it's, it's those kind of relationships. Uh, Dr. Peter Hotez at the National School of Tropical Medicine, even doing the even doing the um, 
the parasite study that we did that showed evidence of hookworm and other tropical parasites in Alabama, you know, still being present and prevalent, although there is a history and people in public health know this, there is a history of hookworm in Alabama and some of it recent. So Mm -hmm. it was uh, having those kind of partnerships and being able to, for them to trust me, for people that, that had credibility to trust me, to listen, first of all, for me to propose a theory and then to actually put the resources into partnering with us to test that theory. And then once we found the theory to be true, we published a peer-reviewed paper in an academic journal that, that, that got the attention of scientists around the world, in fact, because we're the wealthiest nation in the world. And yet we had this type of poverty and, and we had the evidence being shown through, um, through hookworm. And then, of course, partnering again with the UN Special Rapporteur on Extreme Poverty and inviting him to, to, to Lyons County. And when his report came out, noting this. And so all of these things have been very, very helpful in terms of me breaking these barriers when my voice could be heard. I had to go outside of the area. It's almost like, you know, you think about the civil rights movement and uh, a lot of people, when they came in from the outside, they were called outside agitators. So Uh I went to the agitators outside of Alabama to help me lift up my voice so we could shine light on this. And now uh, there's outreach from people around the country that have the same problem (laughs) that that are willing to, to now, uh, to add more credibility and validity to what we've been saying all the time, that that we have to solve this problem because it's been overlooked for many, many years because the assumption was that it was already taken care of. But because it's in rural communities, it's been away from um, the eyes of the media or for people to understand it, or there was a lot of victim shaming in this. So it, it, it was those collaborations, I think, that helped me to, to make my voice known and to break down those barriers. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I know I can relate to that. And it is something that we have to overcome as a community. And I believe that we can overcome it as long as we have individuals like you who are willing to share their stories of how they overcame those barriers or challenges and continue to get the work done because it's for the greater good of our community. So thank you so much for that. Now, before we close... And um, or before we end our segment, I sound like I'm in the Baptist church before we close, before we end the segment, are there three things that you can leave with those of us who are activists in the community and we're doing this social justice work? Are there three things that you can leave with us that will keep us grounded in the work that we're doing and keep us grounded for the days ahead? Well, one of the things is being persistent. I think you know we have to we have to continue to work to 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 make the change that's necessary. So we have to be persistent. I think we also need to form partnerships and collaborate with other people. For an example, when Standing Rock happened, I went to Standing Rock, and one of the things that I learned out of Standing Rock was not only being persistent and having that you know persistence is also faith. But I learned about seven generations to come, the seven generation principle. And if we do everything that we do, thinking that we're trying to bring about the change for seven generations to come, we will always do the right thing. 
Wow. That's powerful. Seven generations to come. All right. Black girls raised in the South, you heard it. We need your persistence. Catherine, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. You've shared so much, and I know we'll have you back uh, for a follow-up conversation. Is there anything else that's just burning in your heart that you want to leave with our audience before we close? Well, I just want to say how proud I am of you, and I'm glad that that you are launching this podcast because I think that that uh, there are so many Black women around the South that need to have the opportunity to lift up their voices where others can hear. And thank you for providing that platform. And thank you for inviting me to be a part of it. Well, thank you. And thank you for being who you are and allowing us to glean from your wisdom today. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Black Girls Raised in the South podcast. I'm your host, Taffany English. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please take a moment to subscribe, share, and leave us a review. Be sure to tune in for the next episode of Black Girls Raised in the South.